We are glad that you are here today, and if you haven't been here for a while, this is actually a good day for you to pop in because we are starting a new series, but before we get there, uh, there's a couple things I want to say, and this is mainly to our church family, so if you're not part of our church family, you could tune this out a little bit. It's actually about giving, and it's not like asking for money. It's actually kind of a thank you. Uh, as some of you know, uh, ministry takes money, and so those of you who call Grace your church home, it's kind of your responsibility, our responsibility to make that happen, and you do that well, and so everything's good. But about three years ago, uh, we decided that we were going to, going to launch a campus in Tiffin, and so we have this fund called Growing with Grace, and then we, uh, three years ago, had a, a series called Synergize, and then that was all about asking people to give over and above what they normally gave to our church for us to do that. Since that happened, we launched Tiffin in September of 2019, about a year and a half ago, and we sent about 225 people from our church that lived in the Tiffin area, they went, and in about four months, we were running just under 700 people every Sunday. So just an amazing thing. God really blessed. And now that three years, because it was kind of a three-year synergized campaign thing, that's up. It's actually been a month longer than that. And, uh, and so what I want to say is just a huge thank you Thank you for those who support Grace, but also a special thank you who gave, sacrificed, and gave sort of more than normal uh, to help us launch. God has uh, richly blessed because of your sacrifice and your investment. Uh, it's just an amazing thing what God is doing. You know, we are connected with a group of churches of about 200 plus churches. If Tiffin wasn't a campus, if they were a freestanding church, independent they would be like the 12th largest church in our, in our association of 200 churches. That's you know, what God has done there. So I just want to give you a big thank you and just make sure that you understand that if you were giving to that synergized thing, I, I want to just let you know that that's over now. And so consider yourself relieved of that obligation if you're feeling obligated. And even if you didn't give as much as you intended in order for us to make plans, we ask how much you think you can give over the next three years. We just handed out cards and people could fill them in if they wanted to. And we got that. And some of you might be thinking, well, I never really gave as much as I planned to give. That's okay. We don't keep track. And so that's all right. Don't worry about it. Thank you very much. God has provided. You have provided. And, and it's all good. And we don't want you to feel obligated anymore. But here, here's one more thing. So you can stop that. If you happen to continue to give, like some of us do, we just give to Growing With Grace, whether it's a camp, special campaign or not, I just want you to know that that will no longer be a capital thing, that we'll start using that for uh, work on our properties around here. Uh, here, if it's from Fremont, it'll be our campus, and also training young leaders is what that money will go for if some of you continue, if you do, but you're not obligated to do that. And then I'll just let you know, we don't normally talk about money, so this is weird. That's why I'm trying to tell the new people, hey, it's not us. But I will tell you this. In February of 2022, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about our vision, what we think God wants us to do next. So I'll let you know then. Until then, you can relax, all right? Does that make sense? All right, great. Again, just thank you uh, for all your help. And, and again, God, God has blessed. If you serve or give at Grace 
you know, just in our weekly support for our normal stuff, thank you very much. God's using you to impact people here and around the world. I think just in the last month or so, we've seen probably about 100 adults come to Christ. And uh, again, that's, that's you have a, an important part of that. So now I want to shift gears. So now you can tune back in. Um, but here's, here's what's happened. Lately in my life, I've noticed for the last several months, I've been, t- I've been thinking about time a lot. And, uh, and what's happened is I start measuring minutes. I don't know if you guys ever do this. You start counting minutes. Like I'll start doing a task and then I'll be thinking, how, how much longer is this going to take me? And then I, how, how long will it take me to do the next thing? You ever do that? I'm sure some of you do. You know, you just start, it, like for example, yesterday I, I, I was in here working and then I needed to run three and a half miles, long story, but I just need to do this three and a half miles. And so I parked the truck, and here's, here's the way I do it, because if you know me, you know I hate running. I don't like running, so I'm making myself do this. I parked, the, I parked my truck over here, then I went over the bike trail, and what I do is if, I wanna, if my goal is to run three and a half miles, I'll run a, a mile and three quarters, which is halfway, and then I'll turn around and come back. And here's what that does. Because I'm a mile and three quarters from my truck, now I have to come all the way back. When I'm tempted to stop, what keeps me running is I'll realize that I'll be wasting time. If I start walking, I'll start thinking, well, if I, you know, I'll think, well, I'm getting tired. I, maybe I should just start walking. You know, I don't want to run anymore. But then I'll start thinking, well, that's going to take me like 10 more minutes if I start walking rather than, and so just that as a motivator. And then when I start slowing down because I'm running on the bike trail along the tracks, when I start slowing down, which some of you would be shocked, are you actually running? Yeah, that's my running. But so as I slow down, I start thinking, you know, if I, if I keep slowing down, what could happen is I could get to Smith Road and then be stopped by a train. And then if I'm stopped by a train, that will waste like another 10 or 15 minutes. And so I don't want to be stopped because I wasn't running as fast as I should be. So I think about that stuff all the time. It motivates me to keep going. Do you do that? You know, uh, somebody does that. But anyway, I'll tell you another secret. When I come into work, usually I'm the first person here. And when nobody's around, I actually run from my truck to the office door because I love my job. I just run. I mean, I just run, and then that saves me like one minute, you know, right there. Boom. But anyway, so, so here, here's the deal. I'm thinking about time more than ever. Recently, I think last week, Pam said to me, Kevin, you know, ever since I've met you, you never wore a watch, but you are like obsessed with time, you know, lately, you know, so yeah, I got that going on. But, uh, but anyway, time, it's huge. You can't borrow it. You can't buy it. All you can do is spend it or waste it. And so time, it's it just a big thing. And we all just have limited time. Now, so I have a little illustration. It's funny because I'm wheeling this out last time and I was feeling like, uh, you know, as a magician getting ready to saw somebody in half, but that's not what I'm doing. It's actually it's just some bricks here. And I have these bricks, and let's just say these bricks all represent, um, these are eight-hour bricks, all right? So eight hours. All right, so in a week, a week's time, we have 168 hours. Correct me if I'm wrong. 168 hours in a week, that total. All right, and then we spend about a third of that time sleeping. You know, we're supposed to sleep 
about eight hours a day. Now, I know a lot of people don't do that, especially if you work shift work. You're probably sleeping like five hours a day. I get that, but probably what's healthy for us, the doctors say, we should sleep about eight hours a day. So in a week, uh, if we sleep, at, and so each brick is an eight-hour block of time. So in a week, if we're sleeping eight hours a day, then that gives us 56 hours, seven days that we're sleeping eight hours a block. Make sense? Okay, and then there's work. So work, normally in a week, uh, we, we all have these jobs, and, and a lot of times we call full-time jobs 50 or 40 hours a week. So that would be five, uh, five eight-hour days. That's 40 hours a week. But almost everybody I know that works full-time, your job's not limited to 40 hours a week. For example, here at Grace, people who work salary work about 50 hours a week. So we'll add a block to that. But then it's not just work at work that you have to do, right? There's also the travel to and from work and all that. But then there's also the work you do at home, whether you work outside the home or not outside the home. There's a bunch of work there. Mow the lawn, keep up the place, fix everything that goes wrong with your house. You know, so that happens very easily. So we kind of blow this away. And then, the, so that's a, a third of our lives. And then the next thing is what we call kind of our, our free time, where we have some options, right? So that, so 56 hours of work, we'll say, and then our free time, so that would leave about 56 hours for that. But I'm here to tell you that, like here at Grace, I, as I mentioned, most people, our full-time salary people work probably around 50 hours a week or more, but then there's all the work at home, so it ends up kind of being like this. When, we, when we're talking about all the work that we do, home and vocationally. So now here's what I'm, my point. So if we're sleeping this much, or getting ready to sleep, or we're laying in bed wishing that we were asleep, you know what I'm saying? You know, so, the, and so, that's, so we don't really count that, because we're not doing anything, kind of. All right, except for laying there worrying sometimes. All right, and then here, we have this huge amount that we call work, and then we have free time. My, here's my point. Since this doesn't count, if this is what we're doing most of our waking life, shouldn't we know what God has to say about it? As believers, we really need to tune in to make sure we understand exactly what God is saying about how we spend most of our life. And that's what I want to talk about today. It's amazing when you start, say you live to 90, and most of us, maybe we won't live to 90, and God hasn't guaranteed that to anybody. But if you live, if you live to 90, you've slept for 30 years. Is that not kind of amazing to think about? But you've worked for 40 or 50 years. You know, it's just like, wow, that's a lot of work. And we want to make sure that we get it right. So that's why we start in a new series today. We're starting called Don't Waste Your Work. Don't Waste Your Work. And it's really a key time for this. Because we're in a very interesting time in the history of our country. Over the last year, because of the COVID stuff, a lot of people had their work interrupted. A lot of people lost their jobs uh, because their company wasn't meeting anymore together. A lot of people started shifting. They worked from home rather from 
than from their office or from their job site. I, I know I did that. I lasted two days. I mean, I worked two days like a year ago, two days at home. I actually have an office down in my basement and a, and a desk and a, and a laptop. And, and after two days, I couldn't do it anymore because I wasn't getting things done fast enough. I could do it way faster at the office and nobody was there anyway. You know, so I just went and we, we did that. But So I get it. And some of you love working at home and that's great. I, I just wasn't getting as working fast enough, but uh, we've had these interruptions. And so now in our country, we're sort of coming out of all this, and, uh, and, and we're noticing some things. Uh, and here's how I notice it. I go to rallies to get a hamburger, which I do this often. And I go to rallies, and then I notice that rallies, they have two drive-up windows, but only one is working. So they only have one open. And then you notice the line is all the way back to the street. Have you guys noticed stuff like this? You know, and then, and then you're trying to, you know, why is this? And then you realize the reason why is they don't have enough workers. And that's happening in all kinds of industries just in our little area. For example, you can't get into a bank, you know, and I don't know if that's, that's forcing us to go online or, you know, with the little kiosk. But it could be that there's, maybe they don't have the workers that they need. Why? Because our work's been interrupted, and then there's been some other things that have happened, which is, for example, for people not working, you know, they get uh, Ohio state unemployment, and then because of the COVID, the federal government came and gave them, you know, more unemployment than that. And so I think for a lot of people, they look at, and then, you know, if they've been laid off, then maybe even more. But so if they have Ohio and federal all of a sudden, maybe they're getting about 90, 80, 90% of what they would have been paid for some people for not working. So then when you go to work, it feels like you're working for like 10% of your pay, right? Because you would have gotten 80 or 90% of this money without working. And so here's my question. For a Christian, is that all right? For a Christian, is that okay? That's what we need to look and figure out what God has to say about our work. And so what, what's been happening is that it seems in our country, which was founded on a Protestant work ethic that sort of kind of came over from Europe, I, I guess, and, uh, but people always worked hard. And, and we have people in our church, you know, most of the people in our church work very hard. But it seems like in our country there's, there's a shift where the virtue of work, that work is a good thing, that idea is disappearing. And, it's, and the, so they're abandoning, people seem to be abandoning a healthy, healthy worth, work ethic. And, then, and I think people along with that feel entitled to receive money or, or support or food um, regardless of the, whether they're working or not, just because they're a citizen or even if they're not a citizen, just because they live here, that they're entitled to this. And so that kind of contributes to it. So, so that's why I want to talk about work. Does that make sense? Okay. Now I know some of you, you're going, oh, great. So I came to church this morning. I work all week. I come to church this morning. And now a pastor is going to tell me how to work. A pastor who only works like one day a week, not even a full day, just Sunday morning. He's going to tell me how to work. This is just great. All right, a couple of things I want you to remember. 
Number one, I haven't always been a pastor. You know, so we all have our work stories, right? You can, we sit around, drink coffee, we can share those old work stories, always fun to do. For me, like many of you, that started out as a teenager. You know, I did the odd jobs, bucking hay, stacking seed, you know, whatever I could do, mainly in the summers. But then I got my first regular gig, and that was loading semis, loading produce onto semi-tractor uh, trailers in the summer. I did that when I was 14 and 15 years old. And then later, I got a because I could ride there on my bicycle. Later, I got another job, you know, and then I started, I worked in a, a bakery for a while. I worked uh, in college. Uh, in the summertime, I would work construction as a hod carrier, did that for several summers, and then to keep a job all year round, I'd also go to this bakery and close. Then I, I got into banking for a while. I did that through some of my college years in a couple of different states, and uh, then I went to the panhandle of Texas. I worked in the oil fields there a little while. Then I actually ended up in Denver, got another banking job, became a branch manager of a bank in a little branch. They actually pulled me out of my training early to stick me in here. Like I said, I already had some experience. And so I've had, you know, and then I went into, uh, I was emergency medical technician, you know, dignitary protection, armed security, blah, blah, blah. So we do all these different things. And I remember, so in my frame, one time, when I was living in Denver, just before I left there to go to graduate school to train for ministry, I was offered a job to be the second, the number two person at the newest, largest branch of a bank in Denver, uh, in, in Colorado. It's the largest branch in the whole state of Colorado, newest, largest branch there to be, and I turned that job down. On the other hand, I've also uh, tried to get a job as a grocery bagger, took the test at the unemployment office, and I didn't pass the test <laughs> to be a grocery bagger. You know how deflating that is? I mean, I needed a job. I needed a job bad. I go to the employment office, and, and so they line us all up, and then well, here you can be a grocery bagger. I'm like, I'll take it. I'll do it. You know, I'd love to be a grocery bagger. Okay, we just have some tests and, you know, open this bag and throw these cans in. And, I, and I'm thinking, I'm looking around these other people and go, I could carry more groceries than anybody here, I think. I, I think I got this. Then they have us like throwing these cans into a bag where you throw one can to your other hand. And, you know, I'll I'm the slowest guy in the room. I fail. They will not even accept me as a grocery bagger. That, that's rough on the ego. But so, We've been, so that's one thing to remember. The other thing that I want you to remember is I'm not giving you what I think about work. That's, so you can take this from a pastor. I'm giving you what God says about work, which is more important, right? You with me? Yeah. All right. So remember those two things. And, and I get it. We're all in different situations. Some people here, you love your job. I love my job. I run, if nobody's looking, I run into work. And some of you hate your jobs. Some of you hate your jobs because you, know, it, you can't keep up. You can't do it. It's laborious. Some hate your jobs because you're bored out of your mind. You could do twice as much work, but for some reason, that's not the way your job's set up. And so you're, you're doing your work. You can almost do your job in your sleep, and you're just bored. Some of you are frustrated at work because you feel like what they're doing is not being done the right way. And, you know, and so here's the thing. If you're dragging yourself into work every day 
and then griping all the way home. If that's what you're doing kind of for this or for the most of this, that will affect your entire life. That might even affect whether you sleep or not. Because you may be so agitated. So I'm saying we need to look at what God has to say about work because it affects so much of our life. So how should we view work? What's God's plan for work? And, and so I want to share three things that God wants you to know about work. Number one, God works. You know, we don't think about that, but God works First verse in the Bible is Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created something from nothing. But later, he calls that work. Genesis 2.1 and 2, for example, says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. I mean, he says that twice. So God's creation, his creating, he says that's work. And so God works. He not only works to create from nothing, he also works to sustain our universe every day. And then he sets up this pattern that we're to work sometimes, but we're also to rest. And so we'll get into that a little bit more later. And so this is what he's telling us. And all the work that God did was good. The second thing God wants us to know is not just that God works and it's part of his nature, but this has to do with us. We are created for work. We, you and me, we have been created by God to work, for work. He created us to work. He creates from nothing, but he allows us to create from what he has made, build things, make things, have things happen. He created us to be involved in that way and work. In Genesis 2.15, it says this. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. All right, so that's work. Now, sometimes Christians feel like, well, work is a result of sin. It's a result of the fall in the garden, but that's not true. Work preceded sin. When everything was perfect, when paradise was just the way the world was supposed to be before sin, there was work. But then, because of sin, remember how that happened? God creates puts man and woman in this garden, everything's set, they can you have everything they need to eat and everything, and then they work to cultivate and to keep the garden. And then, because God doesn't make us robots and God gives us free will, he sort of gives us one thing, he put one tree in the garden and say, Do, you can eat of everything, just don't eat of this one tree. This, you have this one opportunity to obey me. And they blew it, right? And we probably would have blown it too. So we all blew it, that sin in the world. Now, sin didn't create work. Sin just make work, made work difficult. And that came with the curse on people after that sin. Genesis, it's recorded for us in Genesis 3. It says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. You see, because of 
sin, work became difficult. But work was always a good thing to do. And because it was always a good thing to do and we're created to do it, we should be teaching our kids a work ethic. I re- just in between services, I've had a lot of response to this, this message. In between the services, I had this lady come up to me. She's 78. By the way, she's 78. She has, is kind of retired, I think, or semi-retired. She says in the last few weeks, she's had like three job offers. Because people know she's a worker. But anyway, so, but she used to work like in an employment office. But, uh, and she's saying a lot of it is kids don't know how to work. And she'll try to help them write a resume, and they haven't done anything to put down, you know, to carry out the trash. No, I've never carried out the trash before. Well, you know, it's just, it's kind of bizarre. And so we're to teach our kids to work. I know a couple weeks ago, Zach, my son Zach and I, Pastor and Tiffin, uh, we were hauling drywall from Lowe's, a load of drywall in, in the truck, hauling it to uh, a building downtown. And then Zach had forgotten the keys to the building, so we had to go by the house, and that was kind of near where he lives and so I said, we should pick up your son, Toby, my grandson, and he could hold the door for us while we do a bunch of work. You know, and so we picked Toby up, and of course, he was excited. Hey, we need you to help us work. You know, come and do this. We need to teach our kids. He's five. We need to teach our kids to work. It's our job to give them the work ethic. Don't expect them to go get a job when they're, you know, 17 or 18 years old, and then expect the employer to teach them how to work. No, the employer is to teach them how to do the job function. We're to teach our kids to work. Does that make sense? So we need to do that. It's important. So not only are we created to work, the second thing is the third point, is that we are commanded to work. Not only are we created to work, but God specifically commands us to work. And there's a lot of places that over the next couple of weeks we'll be looking at in the Bible to flesh this out. But today I want to look at a passage of Scripture in 2 Thessalonians. And before I go there, it's a, several verses, so I want, want to give you the context. This is Paul. Paul had been to Thessalonica with his missionary team, a, f- a few other people with him, and they established a church there. And after they left, Paul wrote a letter to them called 1 Thessalonians. And then after a little while longer, Paul wrote them a second letter called 2 Thessalonians. And that's where we're at, and that's where we're going to pick it up. When he writes this letter, actually both letters, Paul corrects something that was happening in the church in the first century in Thessalonica that we see happening in our country every day. And and what I kind of like about this passage is, is when Paul corrects them, he goes old school on them, you know, so, you know, I love this. It's, it's old school. It's what a lot of us, especially older generation, what we were taught. And, uh, and here's what he basically says. He says, hey, you are not automatically entitled to support because of your status or your lack of status. You're not automatically entitled. And he uses a word that's translated differently in different versions of Scripture, but it all means the same thing. It's, sometimes it's translated undisciplined like it is in our passage or unruly. It's also translated idle, and what, like you're idle, you're not doing something. And what this word means is that you're not leading a disciplined life because you're just kind of lazing around. You're not doing what you should be doing. So that's the context. Are you ready? All right, there's Second Thessalonians. It's page 1185 if you want to follow along in the Bible on the chair racks. 
He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So great passage, really interesting. And so he's writing the Thessalonica. Here's what's going on with these people there. They, they kind of, they're getting off kilter. They are super tuned in to end times. And so they're waiting for the Lord to come back like we all should, and they're, they're studying up on that. But what's happened is some false teachers have come in and have told them, hey, Jesus already came back. And if you've been with us for a few weeks, you know that it's never going to happen that way. When Jesus comes back, everybody's going to know it. But they, so the rumor kind of spreads. And then Paul basically writes this letter. The larger context of this is to say, hey, don't believe the false teachers. Jesus has not come back yet. Don't stop your jobs. Don't quit working. Don't put a hold on life. Keep working until he comes. And then he writes what we just read. Now, what's interesting to me is Paul could have gone positive. Hey, like talking about those passages in Genesis that, we, that I just shared, but instead he goes sort of negative. He's like, don't hang out with these people. And, uh, and so here's what he's saying. First he says, don't associate with people who say they're Christians, but don't work or refuse to work. Don't hang out with people who aren't willing to work. If they say they're a Christian, that's inconsistent with their faith. Secondly, he's saying, hey, he's referring to, I've taught you this before. He refers to his previous teaching. We can pull a verse out of his first letter. It says this, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we command you. So he's saying, hey, not only am I telling you to work, he's telling, and by the way, I've told you to work before, and when we go back and read that, he's saying, and by the way, I told you this when I was with you. So we have all these times, he's telling them the same thing, work. That's his previous teaching. And, uh, but then he also refers, not to just his teaching, the tradition he passed down, but he also refers to his own example. So he's saying, hey, 
And again, please understand this. Paul didn't mean that he didn't have the right as a pastor to be supported. He did have that right. He speaks to that. And as a matter of fact, to Timothy, he writes, the elders, of, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. And don't want to get into that, but the, the word honor is sort of a financial uh, a price to be paid for something. For example, for us adults, when we're to honor our parents, part of that is supporting them financially in their old age. But that's a whole other sermon. So, I'm sorry. To the elders who rule well, it would be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Context kind of explains it. For Scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So here's Paul kind of talking about people in ministry. He seems to really know pastors because he's describing their eating habits to that of an ox, you know, so that's kind of, that's close right there. And so Paul and his companions, what he's saying is, we had the right to be supported by you guys in Thessalonica, but we didn't exercise that right. We didn't use that right. Instead, we got jobs and we sort of worked night and day. We worked our jobs in the day and then we taught and did ministry in the night. And we also know that they were partially supported by the church in Philippi, the Philippian church, and so that they were helping financially. So then Paul also says here, if somebody's in the church who say, says they're a believer and they're not willing to work, don't encourage them to not work by giving them food. You know, and we're like, wow, this sounds really harsh. But it's really the same thing that, same kind of thing that we say a lot in our culture. What do we say? We, we put it this way. Hey, I don't want to enable somebody to do the wrong thing. So sometimes when we want to help people, we have to stop and make sure that with our help, we're not enabling them to do wrong. So here Paul's saying, hey, I don't want to enable somebody to not work by giving them food. Don't do that. Pull, pull, hold that support, treat them like a brother, but hold that support so they'll feel the need to work is kind of what he's saying there. Again, in another letter to Timothy, he says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, that's a common theme. Now, we say all that, but practically here's how that works for us here at Grace. At Grace Community Church, we help people with food every single week, maybe daily. We, we have a food bank here at the church. People stop by. We give them food, food for people in our community. And we're not, we don't want to enable them, and especially if they're a believer. You know, we realize sometimes people get caught up in a situation. They're willing to work. It's just circumstances as somehow you know, prevented that, or they're in transition between jobs, and, you know, they don't get a paycheck for a while, and so, and so we're always there to assist with food and anything else they need if they're a church member. But if they're not a church member, if they're not a Christian, then we realize they don't have the same standards for work, maybe, that we have. So we want to help them, but after they come a few times, we're going to start asking them questions about how we can help them more, how we can help them get a job. If we, we, we try to develop a relationship with them to move them on down the line, to give them a step up, not just with food 
an immediate help, but help them get a job. Of course, what we want most for them is a relationship with Jesus, and all that is in that context. But we help people all the time. We have people also around the world who can't work because of situations beyond their control. We just did that just this last week. Paul also says that work, working keeps us from other sin issues in our life. So he's telling us, hey, people who don't work ended up ending up, end up getting into other people's business. You know, they're busybodies. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you're not spending time working, and so now you have all this leisure time, and you misuse it by getting into other people's business. Uh, you know, what, what, what's that old saying? You know, idleness, devil workshop, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, also, you know, we have to have mental discipline or you use a lot of time to be thinking about the wrong things and that can cause you to sin and on and on and on. So he's saying, hey, not working has some other issues as well. And then he's saying, we kind of wraps it up by saying, hey, we want to treat them, you know, not like, a, not like an enemy. You know, they're, if they're a brother in Christ and they're messed up in this work thing, we want to teach them, but... Uh, but we still want to treat him as a brother. You know, so that's, that's kind of what he's telling us. So um, when I talk about this issue, and we'll be talking about it the next couple weeks, before I close today, there, there's an issue that I think is burning in everybody's mind, and that is, well, what about retirement? If Christians are created to work, what about retirement? Actually, I've had a lot of comments about this since last service. As a matter of fact, one guy comes up to me and goes, Kevin, I just retired Thursday. You know, what, what are you doing to me here? You know, I had several comments like that. But anyway, what about retirement? So, and we get that in our culture, and they didn't always have retirement, you know, that, that we work so much. And then sometimes we can, you know, we've earned sort of the right to not work the job anymore and still be supported. Uh, then there's also some other issues. Sometimes we can't just keep working. Either physically we can't do it anymore, we can't work as well as we used to be able to, or even mentally maybe we're not as sharp as we used to be, and so that might kind of force us to retirement. But here's what I'm telling you. God still wants us to work. And I know a lot of people retire to work hard. I mean, some people, they're retired and they have the best lawn on the block, right? You know, they take care, they're out there working all the time. And then I'm feeling, wow, look at my yard. You know, this is terrible. And so we all get that. But God, we just need to remember God's created us to work, whether you're retired or not. Here's, here's what I've seen happening. We have people in our church who've retired Highly competent people. They have a lot left in the tank. I mean, these are sharp individuals. But they've retired, you know, for various reasons. And sometimes they will come in to the church and say, hey, I'm retired. I have some more time now where I've spent the last six months, you know, doing everything around the house that ever needed to be done. And now I'm caught up. And now I'm, I'm ready. And they'll say, and they give time to grace. Highly competent people coming in to help us further the ministry, and they don't even need to be paid, you know, and they'll come in and help us do what we're doing. It's amazing. Uh, the story I remember about this, and I've told this before, so some of you may have heard it, but we used to have a staff member who used to be a senior pastor. When I came, he was uh, a part-time pastor, Pastor Tressler. He's like a legendary pastor here at Grace, and uh, 
and, uh, and he was working into his 90s. But Pastor Tressler, one time, I think he was about 90 years old, uh, we were in the old gym back there in the children's area, and there was some event where we were eating with people. And we were sitting at round tables and having a discussion. And I don't remember who everybody was, so if you're here and that was you, you know, I don't mean to offend you, I actually don't remember. But uh, we're sitting around, and then one of the guys at the table said, he was telling us that he just retired from the military. He's like 45 years old. And he had just retired, you know, and that's what my dad did, you know, and I was like, oh, that's great. You know, we're thanking him for serving our country, and we're just having a great conversation. And then somebody at the table asked him a question. Now, when this question was, when all this conversation happens, Pastor Trist was actually had a seat at our table, but hadn't been there. He was off getting food. And so we're all having this discussion. Hey, I retired. Hey, that's great. And then after we all congratulated him, then somebody said, well, what do you plan on doing now? And he said, well, I could do this. I could do that. But I'm thinking about just staying retired. And we're like, wow, 45 and you're retired. You know, that's, that's something. And then in the meantime, Pastor Tressler's not heard any of this conversation. And he comes back to the table with his food on plates. And before he sits down, this guy knew Pastor Tressler, and he said, Pastor Tressler, it's great to see you. Wow, you're still active. You're still working here at Grace? That's amazing. Pastor Tressler, what's your secret? Pastor Tressler's standing there. He shifts his food to one hand, and then he points his finger. He had a long finger. And he goes, never, ever retire. That's what he said, and we all just started busting up, and this guy's like, wow, you know, the voice of God just, you know, correcting me here. You know, the point is this. God has created us to work, and we don't just reach a certain age and shut that off. A lot of times we can reach that age, and we still have a lot to give, and that doesn't mean we can't enjoy more leisure time. You know, I'm not guilting anybody here. I'm saying if you're in that position then you should be trying to strategically figure out what work you can do, besides work that you need to do at your home, I get that, but you strategically figure out how you can leverage time, the time you now are freed up for, for the kingdom. What work can you do that will advance God's agenda? We all just need to be thinking that way. You can change what you do. You can adjust. You can retire. But you should never stop working. Why? Because it's God's plan for us to work. That's what he's created us to do. As long as we're able, we should be willing. Let's stand together. We're going to talk more in the next couple weeks. I encourage you to come back and let's pray together and we're going to close in song. Father God in heaven, thank you for your goodness. And Lord, as we, as we think about our jobs, Lord, I thank you for every job I've ever had. And I know a lot of us feel that way. Thank you. And God, when we look at our lives, help us to use our time. It's so precious to use our time in a way that honors you, especially through our work in Christ's name. Amen.